You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Brendan McCarthy at B McCarthy 95. B Mac, busy weekend in sports. Raptors game seven, and the NFL is back. Buddy, what a fantastic weekend of sports. Like, I, I didn't know I didn't know what to watch. I mean, you look at yesterday, what was going on? You had the US Open men's final, week one of the NFL season. By the way, Cam Newton with some serious drip, the yellow suit. Congrats. I know you're a big Pats yeah. guy. Uh, unreal. Like that was that was an incredible fit. So shout out to him, and shout out for for uh, for Newton for getting the win. He had playoff yeah, hockey. Big win over the Finns. He had playoff ball. Nuggets forced to game seven. Jays beat the Mets, hanging on to second spot in the AL East. And he got a little Brooke Henderson action in the ANA inspiration. She came to third, but still, lots of Canadian content and lots of uh, channel switching. Kenny, that was just a big week in sports. Like we're not going to get that again in September. Virtually, like, every major sports league colliding. It was a sports fan's dream. Come on. Yeah, that's that, that's something that very rarely happens. I mean, it's like one of those occasions that sometimes it can line up, like with an NFL preseason game or something like that, right. where you get one of the big four. They're like all of the big four playing on the same day, and then like you toss in the tennis, you toss in the golf. I mean, it was just a crazy, hectic schedule. I myself was uh, tuned in to a lot of the NFL action yesterday. Uh, noted Patriots fan, so nice to see Cam Newton in that uniform for the first time. He was great. Also man. was tuned in. Yeah, he looked good. Uh, you'd love seeing him line up in the shotgun formations or a pistol formation. Yeah, and you just know the QB draw is coming right up the middle, and the Finns were unable to stop that one. So a couple rushing touchdowns for Cam. Uh, he looked good, I thought, and I was also tuned into the Saints Bucks game. See that uh, NFC South matchup between I was for a little bit Brady's right. two of the best ever. I mean, there were some uh, mishaps from the Bucks down the stretch there. Like I don't know what they were doing on that kick return where they fumbled. It was a complete disaster, giving the Saints the ball late when ultimately uh, Drew Brees and the Saints get the win and they're on top of that division. So interesting to see how all that'll play out as we move down the stretch. Um, for Toronto fans, though, heartbreak the other night as the Celtics take game seven another game seven loss for Toronto against a Boston sports team yeah three years in a row the curse is gonna just wave over all our Toronto teams it's it's getting scary man 
Have you seen the the meme of the teacher that walks into the classroom every day? And he just oh yeah, hello, hello, <laughs> hello, hello. And somebody posted that saying that that was hello Toronto meeting Boston in the postseason every year. It's like it's game every seven, year. and it doesn't matter which sport it is. It's just a Boston, for lack of a better way to put it, or Toronto's daddy right now. Hello. So that. <laughs> What a disaster. And, and especially when you look at the Bucks getting knocked out. Yep. I mean, this was an opportunity to play Miami, which is a team that both Boston and Toronto would have been pretty well suited to play against. Man, Boston, and obviously I'm a diehard Raps fan like, like yourself, but Boston-Miami is going to be a fantastic series. Like, that's going seven yeah. for sure. Tatum versus Butler. But, no, you said it, man. Like, luckily that the Red Sox have been have – been, garbage this year so the Jays won't have to face them at all in the postseason if the Jays can hang on to a playoff spot but yeah the curse man the curse just continues in in any Toronto sports league and um ah, that was rough it was just like it, it would have been it would have been nice to close that out and especially you know they, they the Raps have been exceeding expectations all year without having a closer in Kawhi but I, I'm I'm still super proud of them man they 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 still, with, with, this, with this young team led by Lowry, they still exceeded expectations. Like, I, I wasn't expecting this. And we'll see what happens. I mean, they're going to have some space when it comes to the free agent market moving forward. So yep. maybe uh, we could see another big name coming to Toronto, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He might have been, uh, you know, hanging out with Messiah at Coronado Springs at one point. You never he know. might be at the library bar with Messiah Ujiri. A library bar equivalent. Yeah, talking about how the Bucks can't surround them with any talent that's going to help them push them over the edge, and they just keep riding him in the postseason. I mean, it's not a sustainable business model unless you have, like, a couple of guys to surround him. I mean, even you look at the success when LeBron had it, he needed a couple of guys to get his back, and all the Bucks really have is Chris Milton. It's actually kind of scary that the, the shakeup of the team, the Raps team in the future, Kenny, because you got, you know, Ibaka and Lowry on expiring deals. You know, Fred Van Vliet's got to get paid. It's it's going to look different. Obviously, like like OG's a lock for sure. I don't think they're moving him at all. But it's going to be different, man. Like, yeah. you know that famous, uh, I think like Slam Magazine originally did it with like the seven raps. Like, like we're taking away Kawhi. got just the main, the group of seven, we'll call them. The core, yeah. The core. And uh, that's going to be not intact anymore. Like that's the last you'll see of them which is kind of sad, but. So NHL action, the Dallas Stars yeah, 3-1 on the Vegas Golden Knights. Tampa also mirroring that in the Eastern Conference, up 3-1 on the Isles. I got to be honest, I sort of saw this one coming from Tampa Bay. They're just been on the cusp for the last couple seasons, as we've discussed previous to this episode of the pod. So no surprise to see them ready to make the Stanley Cup final after disappointing results the last few years. Dallas over Vegas, though, 3-1 is really surprising to me. I mean, Vegas was steamrolling up to this point and they've just hit a brick wall, brick wall, a brick wall. They've hit a Roll. brick wall in the Dallas stars who have just seemed to have the formula drawn up to beat this team. Kenny, you're always a brick wall when you're hosting anyway. Yeah. It's <laughs> a brick wall, a brick wall. It's uh, I mean, three, one leads in hockey are scary, man. Like don't, Let's not count out Vegas yet. Obviously, it's a little touch and go right now with Stone. You know, he got injured from that Pavelski shot in game five. So he's questionable for tonight. 
in the elimination game. It'll be game six then, right? Uh, it'll be game five right now. Dallas is up three to one. Sorry, game five. I was so so Stone got hurt in game four, and DeBoer didn't provide an update on his status. So that is is a that is something we got to keep an eye on. Yeah, but he's I, a huge I don't player for Vegas. Yeah, and and if they lose him, that that might be it. Really, he he is he has been their their guy the, the entire postseason. So, I mean, at this point, everyone is is battered and bruised. I know, I know the the stars are going to be down a couple forwards heading into Game Five. Uh, Rupe Hints and Faxa, which aren't big additions, but you know, still they even out the the bottom bottom tier of the stars lineup. Yeah, it's the depth forwards, right? I, like Faxa is a, one of those defensive guys who gets the tough matchup on a lot of nights and is able oftentimes to shut down top forwards on the other team. I, I know a lot of guys were considering him to be in the the Selkie conversation if it weren't for his lack of production on the offensive side, but his respect in the league as a defensive player is uh, second to none. And so that's a huge loss for, for Dallas missing that player. It's kind of what I've been able to get out of now the final four. It's like you have two flashy teams in, in Tampa and Vegas and just two tight checking grinding teams to kind of retract them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Game one, for instance, when Hudobin got the shutout, one nothing. he was driving all the entire Vegas team, especially their, their top guns, nuts. Like, yeah. they just they, – they couldn't, they couldn't score. And, and Hudobin wasn't standing on his head. Obviously, he was great and got them to shutout. It was one nothing. It was like an old-fashioned pre-03-04 lockout NHL win. But, you love that. You love yeah, you that. love those, man. The two-one grind-out games. Where, where um, were those days? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's interesting to see. Like when you get deeper in the playoffs, it's like you know maybe that defensive style, shutdown style, can you know keep away the the, the flashy, sexy teams, and you know especially the Islanders against Tampa, man. That they they've done a heck of a job. I kind of predicted they get maybe two wins out of this series and they're not yeah. out of it yet, but it's interesting to see, like, you know, even when you have like two incredibly offensively gifted teams, they still can get, you know, warped into that, you know, tight checking cycle game. And suddenly it, the time runs out and it's one, nothing two one. And you've had tons of chances, but you know, nothing to show for it, nothing to show for it. The impressive thing for me for Tampa Bay has been the play that I probably shouldn't be that surprised by of uh, Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. I mean, these guys have been leaders for the Lightning this postseason run. Both have 25 points so far in the playoffs, so well over a point a game. I mean, they've been incredible for this team, and especially with the absence of Steven Samkos, a lot of people were highlighting the fact that the depth on Tampa Bay was going to be seriously hindered when you're missing a player like that. But they haven't seemed to skip a beat. I mean, they've got the offensive production out of their top guys. Victor Hedman has been Victor Hedman, quite frankly, on the back end for them, uh, contributing 13 points himself, obviously just sliding into that shutdown role for the Lightning. It's been impressive to watch that they've been able to string all this together and give a lot of credit to Julian Brisebois, who made the offseason moves and made the moves at the trade deadline to bring in 
Blake Coleman, signing Pat Maroon, making these moves to bring in veteran guys who understand how to play the playoff type of game. And Tampa has benefited from it, and now they're on the cusp of making the Stanley Cup final. It's been impressive to watch. Absolutely, man. And, and those two additions right there were huge. I mean, obviously getting swept by the Jackets a year ago, it's like, okay, like our team offensively on, on paper is incredible, but there's still little tune-ups we need to refine and correct in order to, to, to make that, you know, final push. Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're going to love Bar Down Breakdown, a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, 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 you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, like, well, maybe we should wear a Montreal jersey. And the NHL was like, mm, I think you should stay neutral. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. Well, even on the back end as well, you look, they trade for Ryan McDonough, former captain of the New York Rangers, to solidify that back end. He's yep. really slotted in really well. To Had that huge there. assist in game two on I mean, the coach game sand, winner. You get some more sandpaper on the back end, signing Zach Bogosian. You sign uh, Kevin Shattenkirk to a short deal after his disastrous couple of seasons in New York. And you're able to bring him in on the cheap, cheap. I think he has about 10 points so far this postseason, nine points actually. So it's like you get these contributions from these veteran players and they seem to be the one team that doesn't have any holes up and down their lineup. They are rolling right now. They're playing well on the special teams aspects, power plays, cooking, penalty kill looks good. They got strong goaltending coming from Vasilevsky and they, to me, have to be the favorites regardless of who ends up coming out of the West to win the Stanley Cup at this point in time. And of course, led by John Cooper, former lawyer, who just always seems to be calm and knows what he's doing. Did, okay, I'm sure you saw the the GIF or the replay on Twitter where people were like, "This guy's a dork." That reaction is very dork-like. Oh, that was so stupid. I was like, "What are you talking about?" First of all, like he's jacked up. They just went ahead two nothing in the series. And what is wrong with that celebration? It's like I someone just has was, to nitpick. I, I thought that was good. Yeah, he just, it's just a yeah. couple of fist pumps to the air. Like it's showing a, a raw like reaction. A... It's a Stanley Cup playoff game. His team just scored, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there was only about like less than 10 seconds left in the game yeah. when they scored that one. Obviously, it's going to be emotional because you're fighting for your lives I in know. these sorts of games. And you, to you sneak away with a win, which essentially if you're scoring in the last 10 seconds, like that's, that's going to solidify it. I thought it was just an organic reaction from Cooper. And quite frankly, I like it. Yeah. Like, too often do we see these NHL coaches or GMs on the bench and they sort of score and then the camera pants to them and they're just stoic sitting there showing no emotion. Yeah. I love seeing the emotion out of the, out of the coach when something happens and showing a little bit of that humanity, that human aspects that we don't get quite frankly from the NHL. We get it in other leagues. You see the interviews in NBA and NFL like the NHL to me, they always keep it the tightest to the chest of any of the major leagues, just always supporting their teammates. You don't really get those sound bites out of too many guys, which is why you appreciate your boy, 
Tortorella so Tartsy. much for always giving us some stuff to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an emotional game. To show that emotion, I think, just makes you human. So I liked that from Cooper, to be honest. I think it was great. Imagine he pulled that out in like a, a courtroom after winning a big trial or case. Just a couple fist yeah, bumps. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you see the lawyer celebrations. I don't think that that's really a kosher move. No. Like we find the defendants not guilty. Yes. Just a couple of fist pumps in the air. <laughs> I knew it. Told you. So Kyle Dubas, uh, the manager of the GM, or the manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, apparently he's getting a reputation right now as being a tough trader. Can you imagine that? Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun uh, reporting that Dubas is asking an exorbitant price when he's talking to other GMs in the league as it comes to the return of his players. I mean, we saw that with the Kapanen trade. He got the first rounder, pried that out of Pittsburgh. But to be fair, nobody hates first round picks more than Jimmy Rutherford down there. But it upset a lot of GMs because they thought that he was over asking the price. To me, this is pretty cut and dry. If you don't like the price that GM is asking, there's no, you just don't have to pay it if you're another team. If you think the price is too high and it's not going to help your team in the long run paying that for that player, then don't make the trade. But as a Toronto Maple Leafs follower, I like the fact that Dubas overvalues or values his players to a point where he wants to make sure that he's getting something far fair back in return and he's not going to get caught with his pants around his ankles where five years down the road everybody's looking at it like a Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson trade where Columbus obviously ended up getting the better end of that one no that's stupid I liked kind of the the bold um risk-taking Dubas style like I mean he's he's the first GM to kind of like make noise and make a move in the offseason and obviously he's one of these yeah, he's he's one of the younger GMs, and he's you know he's not he's not starting when when the Stanley Cup final concludes. He's Listen, already right like into that it too. I think this is one of those like old school NHL rules where there's an unwritten rule somewhere. You know, we talk about the unwritten rules in baseball. Sort of, you don't conduct business with other GMs until all the teams are out of the playoffs. That seems to be the ideology. You don't really see too many trades made while the Stanley Cup playoffs are still going on. That's what so complacent like that. GMs say. Yes, that's what GMs say when they're on vacation in Barbados and they're getting a call from their owner saying, Toronto's getting first-round picks for a third-round player. What deals do you have cooking? That's yeah. why the GMs are pissed off because they're just kicking their feet up. It's been a stressful time. And out here, Kyle Dubas is wheeling and dealing. I yeah. love this. And if that's the reputation that he's going to get, so be it. You don't have to trade with him if you don't want to. Yeah, and you know what? It, even if he's it, with the ask, ask, with the asking price and the return, and and what he kind of want, wants re- revolved around a certain trade or transaction, like it's he has the right to kind of pry into into other you know deals or or picks, whatever. Like you know, you, you can't just. You can't just say like, okay, that's fine. Like, there's a reason Dubas. Remember that meme when he's like, has got two phones to his ear, and he's just he's rocking and rolling. Like, he's not like, he's not settling for just a straight up deal. Like, he wants he wants certain things packaged around it. Whatever whatever that future trade might be, if the Leafs are looking to do some more moves. But you know, again, it's not just like, great, we need this, you need that. Bye. It's like, no, no, hold on. What about this? Like, he's he's very strategic in that way. It's like when you go to you know, like a brewery, like your brewery like yes i would like a beer but i also would like an appetizer and a good one too not just going to settle with a pint yeah. you know <laughs> yeah you got you got you got to get the pairing going 
You have to. You need the pairing. You need the pairing for the defensive pairings, or you need the pairings <laughs> with your beer, whichever it is. You got to make sure that yeah. you're getting it right for your organization because you're either going to have a bad time at the bar or you're going to have a bad time in the regular season if you don't have those sorted out by the time you're Precisely. ready to go into battle. This got me thinking as well that likely probably Frederick Anderson is going to be here to stay in Toronto. I mean, Brian Burke brought this up the other day that he suggested the Toronto Maple Leafs were set in net. So that would insinuate that he's probably heard some things that I'm assuming that we haven't heard and parlay that with the fact that Dubis likes to over ask for players and the oversaturation in the goalie market. This se- I seem to be leaning now at this point with this information that they're going to stick with Frederick Anderson at least until the end of this deal. And then maybe try to reevaluate going into next season, see who's available, see if you want to sign them, see what happens. But that's likely what I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are looking to do now based off Berkey's sentiments and based off this new information about the Leafs GM. Berkey has the Leafs winning the cup out of all the Buddy. seven Canadian teams. Yeah. Well, yeah, the most likely this list, basically they just put out this list to light a fire under everybody's ass and get the conversation started. People in Vancouver must be livid. Oh, absolutely. Like they're the team that makes it the farthest Toronto and Edmonton both can't even make it through the preliminary play in round. So technically not even playoff teams. Vancouver makes it through to the second round and they're just chop liver. Still Toronto and Edmonton, the favorites as far as Berkey's concerned to win the Stanley cup ahead of those other teams. Yeah. Vancouver's got to be way higher on that. Like even as a, as, as a Leaf fan, that's, I don't even see the Leafs as number one there, to be honest. I'd put, I'd put Vancouver recency bias or, or Edmonton, to be honest. So you put Toronto at number three. I'd probably put the Leafs at number three. And uh, based off from of what they've fan. been able to accomplish in the postseason over the couple of years, I'd be, it'd be hard pressed to go against that. Quick story on Brian Burke, Kenny. I once met him at Pedro O'Brien's good spot downtown with my dad. This was 2015, so 2015-16, the Leafs rebuild season. PJ O'Brien's is that like the little Irish bar at uh, like? King it's a Church? little hidden gem, little hidden gem Irish bar. I think I think I think I've been in there. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a it's a good spot. A little hole in the wall. Get, you oh, get yeah. the harp. You, you get a couple of the black and tans cooking as you do when you go into the Irish bar. Yeah, it's a good little spot. Live right. music, I believe, on the the weekends as well, or at least they used to do it. Maybe yeah. uh, they'll fire it back up again, like hopefully by next summer. Yeah, I was in there um, after a Leaf game with my dad, and Brian Burke was in a back booth. And, you know, after a few pops, my dad went up to him. He's like, hey, Brian, like, loved what you did with Toronto. I think he might have been in between a GM role and working for Sportsnet. And he's like, so do you think the Leafs will uh, win the Cup in the next five years? So I remember 2015. And he's like, five years? He put his hand on my dad's shoulder. Try millennium. And he just walked out to his cab. Peace. (laughs) Gone. (laughs) Well, maybe he's uh, turned the corner based off the facts that yeah, I guess so. he put them at the top of the list. And like, also, let's, let's not throw shade on Burke's list entirely. He did say they consulted with a number of NHL GMs, a number of players, executives, like that sort of thing. But he wasn't going to oust his sources, obviously, because this is the sort of list that gets your social media popping off and everybody's angry in your mentions the whole time. So he chose to keep those private. But it wasn't just as if, he came up with these rankings just off the cuff and sort of, oh, yeah, you know, Toronto, like, let's appease the Toronto fans by putting them in first. I think he legitimately believes that 
with the depth that Toronto has, at least in their top six, that that was enough to put them over the top when you consider what Edmonton and Vancouver have. I don't think anybody's surprised that Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Ottawa are at the bottom of those lists. I mean, Ottawa's in the full rebuild right now. They just traded everybody. They get rid of Stone. They get rid of Carlson. They obviously have two picks in the top five in this year's draft. A, a number of prospects up and coming. Thomas Shabbat, they just locked up to the long-term deal. Brady Kachuk, you can expect that they're going to lock him up. But they keep losing cornerstone pieces. Like, you look at Gabrielle Pajot, who they trade to the Islanders, who's having a very good playoffs, by the and way, making Lou Lamorello look good for making that deal. Oh. But you lose those character guys like him. You lose the character guys like Stone. It looks like Borvieski is going to walk in this offseason. Those are the kind of guys that you need to keep around in the locker room to keep some stability in the franchise. And they've shown an inability to do it over the last several seasons. Yeah, like Montreal and Ottawa are just right now are just going to be perennial sixth and seventh in terms of ranking the Canadian teams to make it. Like they just seem to be in a like especially the Canadians, man. You, yeah, you well, think big I mean props to them for what they were able to do, but that was just mostly leaning on a healthy carry price. Absolutely. Like you think in the last eight years, like who has been driven out of Montreal? Subban, Pacioretty. Markov. Well, I guess Markov was just getting old. You, you like Bergevin has not done a, a good job with this franchise at all, and like you, you can't, you can't be like rebuilding. You know, like 2012 is when Bergeron got hired from the Habs, I believe. Yeah, so you're basically eight years then into your tenure, and you haven't really it's made. Like, where are yeah? Where are they run. now? Well, it's like they're kind of in a rebuild again now. Again, like ish, yeah. would, would, would you say it's not like a full rebuild in the sense of Ottawa, as Brian Burke put it, stripping it down to the chassis and just starting from like starting from ground zero? But like, it's fair to say that much. Hey, buddy, we just cut out there. It's still recording. You're going on about the Habs, though. <laughs> Am I back here? You're Sorry, back. we're having we're having like some technical things going on this morning. First, it was saying that my microphone was taking too much charge and my computer wasn't going to be able to fulfill it. So then we're doing it on the iPad. The iPad just drops the Wi-Fi connection. So not the smoothest run this morning, but what were we talking about there? I was going off on Mark Bergevin. And like, the Habs. Yeah, like this guy, he's had eight years to put a contender on the ice. And now you're in a rebuild. It's like they haven't rebuild? been able to find the number one center. Well, he sort of was like the expectation generally when you come in as the new GM, right? Is you have about four or five years to construct your team, right? They haven't yes. been competitive in the stretch that Bergevin has been at the helm. Like, yes, they have they made the playoffs. Yes, have they made a deep run? In that sense, they've been in the same boat as Toronto, where they're just sort of floating in that middle middle range, which is a terrible place to be in if you're trying to rebuild because you get those middle range draft picks. You don't necessarily get the transcendental player who's going to come in and change your franchise. It's almost like you have to be in the bottom five of the league or the bottom 10 of the league or the top 10 of the league. You don't really want to be in that 10 to 20 spot where you're getting matched up against the one seed in the first round. And then you're getting a crappy draft pick because you're still in the top half of the league. So it's been a little bit of a disaster in Montreal. And quite frankly, unless they can expect that sort of play of an aging carry price that they were able to get over the postseason run while he was well rested, four months of rest, five months of rest, whatever it was, then they're going to be in trouble next year. 
because you can't rely on that, those sorts of performances out of him for about 55 to 60 games a year and then expect him to be in any sort of form coming into the postseason. Yeah, and I know we're probably getting the uh, the finger points from Habs fans saying, like, oh, you know, like you didn't advance past the play-in. But it's like, guys, come on. You, you wouldn't be in the first round if you didn't have Carey Price leading the way. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, Sorry, but like if, Thomas Tatar and Brennan Gallagher aren't going to lead your team. Yeah, it's not going to take you to the promised land. No. Uh, Winnipeg and Calgary are sort of in the middle. They're in like that awkward place right now. Winnipeg was a perennial contender just a couple of years ago, so a big drop-off for them. Um, obviously, Helly Buck has been a bright spot for that organization, what he's been able to do in net, one of the finalists for the Vesna Trophy this year. So they'll be happy to have that guy between the pipes moving forward. Uh, Calgary, I thought, was is the most disappointing team on this list. The expectation for them was has been to be a contender for the last couple of years, and they've come up totally short in the postseason. In fact, I'd say the only team that's come up shorter based off the expectations entering the playoffs has been Toronto. Calgary is number two for, like, the most disappointing run so far because I think I don't think that the expectations were as high for the Flames as they were as Toronto, but they were right there and expected to be contenders in the East. Okay, I just did contenders in the West, rather. I just did my list on the fly, and I'm going to change it. Definitely going Vancouver number one, then Calgary. I think Calgary on Berkey's list is way too low. Then Toronto at three, so that doesn't change. Edmonton, Winnipeg, Montreal, Ottawa. Like Calgary is still a a threat, man. Like I, I was shocked to see them so low on Berkey's list. I was shocked to see the criticism of their core players. Like, people are ready to trade Johnny Goudreau. It's like, this is a guy who's a 100-point-per-year player for your franchise. Like, obviously, he didn't have necessarily the production in the postseason, but you can't chase this guy out of town. Like, he's a cornerstone for your franchise, and this is exactly what all the other teams are looking for, is a player like that. So why would you trade away a 100-point guy looking to find another 100-point winger to bring into the system, maybe just that plays a little bit of a different brand of hockey? They, I think they're a little caught up in that sort of you have to play tough, you have to play physical, which the West traditionally has been the more physical conference of the two, more so than the East anyways. So it's easy to get dragged into that, but I think the guts are there. The Really the biggest question for Calgary is going to be their aging decor. Obviously they're going to have some free agents leaving, whether it's um, TJ Brody I think is up. I think Hamannick might be up as well. I'll have to double check on that because I'm not sure off the top of my head. But they, their biggest question has been between the pipes. Bugs me so much. You mentioned Goudreau, you know, on on the trade block, which that that Calgary's not trading Goudreau, but just like the, you know, the, the reaction from from hockey fans just to pinpoint and target a player to say, well, that person has to go. It's like, yeah, like they're basically like their backbone has to go. Like I know we were talking about possible destinations for Freddie, but you know, right after the, the Leafs got eliminated, people are po- pointing fingers at Freddie. What happened when the Raps got eliminated against Celtics? Fingers point at Pascal. It's like, what do you what do you guys want? Like, just to turn to basketball for a second, were you expecting Pascal Siakam to be Kawhi 2.0? No. Sure, does well, people, making... people look at the max deal though, and then they expect the player to be able to live up to it like right away. No, that's the fact stupid. of the matter is, is that like Pascal is not going to be that that cold-blooded killer he just doesn't have the experience yet no and he did have a bad playoffs do you have a bad playoffs yes he did but like this was a difficult circumstance for everybody like it was well noted and well documented that siakam 
wasn't really able to play basketball too much through that stretch because all the Raptors training facilities were shut down. They weren't, he wasn't able to go there. He didn't have the freedom that a lot of the American players had when they traveled back down to the States to sort of wait this out while the season was delayed. He obviously doesn't have a basketball court as at his place in Toronto. So and coming into He's the got quarantine, Drake, I guess. <laughs> all, coming all... into the quarantine, he was like he was playing at the top of his game. And yeah. you just don't know how a hiatus affects the players. I think there's so many circumstances, but yeah, I, I hated the criticism of but... Siakam and I don't understand the in the same token, the criticism of Johnny Goudreau just because he had a bad year. You know, everybody has a, everybody has a bad like you you have a off year and it's you know sixty points in seventy games, like it's still better than most wingers in the league. It's just an easy out, and it shows you know some people just don't know what they're talking about. It drives me nuts. It's like some of the like malicious tweets that were sent out, Kenny, like regarding Siakam. It's just like you guys, oh, are, it's brutal. Like, get off, like get out of here. Like that's that's a joke. Like. You know, Lewinberg tweeted tweeted something really great. It's like you can critique the player all you want, but the second and this goes for for all sports professional athletes, critique the player all you want, but don't get into the personal side ever. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's offsides to do that, and I hated some of the commentary that I saw surrounding Siakam. Uh, let's get into the rumor mill. Oh, oh boy. This story is totally bogus. What you heard was just an ugly rumor. And whoever started it should be ashamed of himself. Amen. Told you. Spill. Okay, so this week on the rumor mill, uh, Wayne Simmons on the block. Um, he pretty much stirred the pot. I think it was an uh, interview with Pierre Lebrun, where he was suggesting that at this point in his career, he's more concerned about going to a contender rather than making money playing for a pretender. So, and then when asked Gotta get him Toronto, out of Buffalo, Kenny. It's Yeah. Well, when oh asked my about God. Toronto, he said that they have a great core of players, and he thinks that it's definitely a team where he could go in and make an impact right away. What do you make oh. of the rumors that Simmons could be bolstering the bottom six for the Maple Leafs? Well, it's only a matter of time now. Like, you know, TSN and Sportsnet's going to eat up that quote. Yeah. Huge, man. And obviously, like... You know, all the dots connect too. I mean, we've been talking about it for for years, even at the college sports media. Like it's obviously Scar- Scarborough, Ontario Need native. Determination, like, character you know. guys. You'd <laughs> be a great all fit. Great all the fit. boomers are going to love the signing of Wayne Simmons. And AAV of five mil. I know we try and stay away from salary caps and AAV, but we got to kind of talk about it a little bit. You know, it's that not. On, is, is that what he's on right now? I don't know what his contract mil. is. Because there's no way that you can pay five mil if you're Toronto to bring this guy into the bottom five. But I think that he might be entering, like that might be the last year of his deal, though. I believe is I believe is UFA now. Yeah, he's a UFA. Yeah. So his cap hit was five million coming into this year. He figured that if he was going to sign in Toronto, it would basically have to be for probably something pretty close to a league minimum deal. Now I don't know if he'd be willing to do that. It seems like he wants to play for a contender over and like he might be able to take a be willing to take a little bit of a haircut but this is also a guy who has a lot of miles on him like he plays a tough physical game and you see with these power forwards a lot of the time as they get into the back nine of their career the play drops off quickly and significantly because they've just worn out their bodies i think it's the same thing for simmons his production over the last couple seasons has steadily declined 
Well, that's and a good that's point you, bring that you have to be aware of when you're bringing in a player like this. That, that's a great point you bring up because it's like, you know, Wayne, do you want to take a haircut and be a contender? Or do you want to stick with a crap team like the Sabres and, you know, make five, six million a year? Yeah, well, no, basically I- in the last four seasons, when you look at it, in 2018 with the Flyers, he got 27 points. They had the rough year with Nashville where he was only he was only able to play 17 games, uh, only got three points that season. Next year with the Devils, signs like the shorter deal, uh, ends up coming in with, let's see, 24 points. That was, uh, that was actually this year, 24 points before he got traded to Buffalo, and then just one point in seven games with the Sabres. So yeah, his numbers haven't been excellent, really, and that's been a big topic of conversation, was that Toronto needs more – contributions on the offensive side of the puck from their bottom six. Uh, in addition to sandpaper, Simmons is a guy who traditionally his career has done that, but I'm not sure where he's at now or if he's going to be that effective at the, just quite frankly, at this point. Well, the Leafs and, are going to lack some sandpaper too, because I mean, yeah, they're going to talk all you want about it. Kyle knows. Clifford, Kyle Clifford did delete his uh, Maple Leafs bio from his Twitter. There could ah, be some, but then, but then he changed something. his profile picture, update the story. We gotta get the most relevant. He updated his Twitter pick. Yeah, he updated. His I Twitter didn't see that. To a picture of him on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ah, he just so took away the bio it from his bio, and then switched the Twitter picture back to the Leafs jersey. So okay, but who knows what's going on with Clifford? I mean, I, I would be. Surprised I don't think. I don't think Clifford resigned. is staying. I don't know if they could if they could keep well, him. But. Well, what do they have to give up? I think they. I think if he signs, they have to give up. What is this? Like a third round pick or a second round pick to, to LA. That was part of the stipulation of the, of the mm, trade. Okay. So if they, if they flip them out, like I can't remember which, which pick it is, but basically if Clifford signs, there's more draft capital uh, out of Toronto and going to LA. And I feel like at this point, there was a number of other stipulations, obviously. I think it had to do with Campbell's wins. I also had to do if they made it out of the first round of the playoffs. I think that was a part of the stipulation. Obviously like neither of those things happened. But yeah, it's like if they re-sign him, they're going to lose more picks, and I'm not certain that the Leafs at this point want to give up any more draft capital than they've already had to fork over. Do you think players sometimes like do that kind of as a ploy, maybe as a, like intentionally like unfollow their team or just like Giannis unfollowed the Bucks on Instagram? Man, everyone's like, oh, uh oh, like could this be? <laughs> yeah, well. I- I think that I think that the younger generation of players, I mean, you have to be pretty savvy and understand how social media works. Understand that if you're going to do something like this in the public eye, especially for the younger generations, uh, like I'll, I'll lump us into that, the millennials. Yes. But then also, you know, whatever the hell they're called. Was it Generation Z? Generation yeah. Z? Yeah. Is that the one after us? It's Generation X was before us. And then we're the millennials. And then there's Generation Z. And they're the ones that are just zipping around on TikTok all the time. And I have no zipping. idea what the hell is going on on that platform. Neither but do I. Everyone's like, you should get it, man. You work in media. I'm like, I don't need TikTok to stay afloat in sports media. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks for coming out, though. Like, Yeah. Well, maybe that's just – maybe we're just getting too old for that sort of crap now. <laughs> I, like, I this, guess. This is, us, this is us getting old, BMAC. We're like, ah, no. Nah. Can't get the social media. It's like our grandparents <laughs> when Facebook came out. They're like, can't absolutely do it. not. Can't do it. Our parents when Instagram came out, and now it's just everybody's aunt and mom following everybody, just po- posting a barrage of pictures daily. Oh, it's like I think gosh. the number one, the number one uh, demographic for Instagram, I think, is like um, women over forty. They use it to post. 
It's like, it used to be a younger platform. I feel like that's the same way with TikTok right now. It's the younger platform right now, and you or I have no interest in getting zero. on there, but eventually the people are going to infiltrate and take over. Like every family party, man, it's just little cousins, TikTok, iPads. I'm like, what is like the attraction from TikTok? Like, yeah, what the hell is going on? You know what? Honestly, it's a, it's in so my day, we had Vine. Their brains. We had Vine in my day. In our day, Kenny, Vine oh, was yeah. great. Vine, the seven, seven seconds of heaven. I loved it. And yeah, TikTok yeah, kind of just was like, you know, yeah, we're taking over. But Vine lasted maybe like six months. It wasn't long. Yeah, the TikTok, the TikTok thing is too much. Vine, like, throw back to Vine. I'm sure a lot of the listeners remember the Vines. Oh, if, uh, nice. if you have a favorite Vine, you should get tweeted at us at LeafsPod on Twitter. Follow yes. us at LeafsPod on Twitter and join the conversation. What was your favorite Vine from growing up? If you're familiar with the platform, if you're not, then get you on know us and tell us what we're talking. Yeah, then get on there and show us what your favorite TikTok is. Maybe you can sway. BMAC and I to join <laughs> the platform. Uh, I, I want to get into briefly at the, yeah. at the end here about the NHL awards. Uh, not, we're not going to touch on all of them because I don't think all of them necessarily pertain to the Maple Leafs at all, really. Uh, a couple, though, that I want to highlight. Uh, let's start with, first off, the Jack Adams uh, for best coach of the year. I know that you're going to have strong feelings on this because your boy – Torts got snubbed by, in a lot of people's opinion, Bruce Cassidy, the winner for the head coach of the Boston Bruins. What do you make of Cassidy winning the Jack? Yeah, I was kind of like, sure, he deserves it. I mean, I would have kind of liked to see Trotz maybe in the mix a little bit more. And possibly Didn't he win it last year? Trotz? I, I'm pretty I believe. Sure, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Trotz won it last year. I could, I could be incorrect on that, but I feel like that's one of those awards where if you win it sort of one year, like very, you don't really see uh, coaches winning that multiple years he did. in a row. Yeah, yeah, you don't see coaches really winning that multiple years in a row. Like it, it's generally, and the thing that's probably deserved me about it though. This, I, I would have given back to back. Yeah, if I was, well, he's, he's done an incredible job. I was part of it. That's not to take away from any of the other guys that were nominated. I mean, Cassidy, the Bruins led the league in points and point percentage at the time that the season stopped and they were among the leaders in areas that coaching has the most effect uh, in the special teams and power play and penalty kill. They were among the league leaders. Uh, this is a veteran group in Boston who understands the, the price to win. They understand the two way game. So in a lot of ways they make their coach look good with the way that in the culture that they already have in Boston, but give credit to Cassidy where credit is due. He's able to motivate his group in the proper way and keep those top guys performing at a top-notch level. Uh, I would say that I think Tortorella in this one did get a little bit shafted just because he did so much with so much less. It was so well-documented. The players that were leaving Columbus in the offseason, you lose your two-time best-winning goaltender in Sergei Bobrovsky. You lose your number one center in Matt Duchesne. Uh, other depth pieces as Panarin. well, uh, Artemi, Artemi Panarin. You lose him to the Rangers, and he was in the conversation for the Hart Trophy, which hasn't been decided yet. They'll announce that during the Stanley Cup final. Also, I like I don't understand this whole drawn out process. I think it's a little bit much, sort of just announcing like one a day or a couple a week, and then just drawing out the whole thing. It's yeah. like just just give me the goods. Give me the goods. Get, yeah, give me the goods, and we could just like dedicate a whole episode to every award. Anyways, that's beside the point. Uh, Elaine Vigneault for the Flyers also nominated. I thought he did a really good job, and. In a way, this is just like this is just a screw job on Ron Hextall. 
because he put this whole team together and then he gets canned and basically it's the team that he put together who is making the coach look so good so good to the tune that he's in the conversation for the best coach of the year and there wasn't really any serious changes to the roster it was more or less the one that he constructed and then all of a sudden the pieces that he drafted whether it's Carter Hart comes up and solidifies the goaltending position which was something that was has always been up in the air in Philadelphia for the last number of years and the team is able to right the ship, but big shout out to Hextall who was able to assemble this group and a disappointing end to the season, obviously for Vignon and the Flyers, but understandable that he also gets the nomination based off the regular season that they were able to string together. Uh, another award that affects the Maple Leafs directly, uh, the Lady Bing for gentlemanly conduct on and off the ice. Uh, uh-huh. Nate McKinnon ends up winning up winning that one. Uh, Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly were the runners up. This one was a little bit confusing to me that Austin Matthews was in the conversation because you remember all that off-season drama with the security guard and it's like this time last year, was it not? Yeah, it was just it was yeah, or it was over the summer. summer it, was, it, was, it was coming this is when into it blew the, up. Yeah, it was coming into the beginning of the regular season. There yeah. was all the chatter that Matthews was lined up to be the next captain, and then this happened, and then they pulled a complete pivot and decided that it was going to be JT instead of Matthews because of this instant off the ice. Uh, I, I don't know if I buy into all that, but I was I was surprised because that's a pretty significant transgression. I know we haven't really heard about it after the fact. We likely think that there might have been uh, a little agreements outside of court to just sort of make this thing just completely go away. But it obviously wasn't gentlemanly conduct displayed by Matthews and his friends in that incident. And I, I'm not sure they should have even been up for the award. Obviously, his production on the ice speaks for itself but he needs uh to tighten up the antics off the ice and stay out of the news and those sorts of stories if he expects to actually be able to win awards like this in his career i'm actually shocked he was a finalist yeah it's me too and i think that twitter blew up when they saw that matthews was a finalist like every fan base was so pissed off and i'm not going to say it's not rightfully so it's kind of rightfully so because you know gentlemanly conduct is the opportune word. And obviously that was not displayed by the Maple Leafs forward. So Nate McKinnon, I agree with, I guess the yeah. only other guy who would have been in contention was Ryan O'Reilly who would have been. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it's three guys and O'Reilly, uh, you know, what can you say? You can't say enough about him as a player, as a leader <laughs> yeah. on and off the ice. Like he's demonstrated for, for years and years. Yeah. I just say the one, two, I don't even really, I mean, I guess they technically have Matthews in the mix, but or did have Matthews in the mix, but I, I just let's go with McKinnon, Riley, O'Reilly. Yeah, that's no that's just that's just an odd pick considering what the, the last year, what what Matthews did. I think you yeah, it's, I just don't I, I don't understand it. Like nobody would bat an eyelash if he wasn't if you were just to pick somebody else and toss yeah. him in the mix and then wait till nominate him for a year where he hasn't had the off season drama. You know, is it basically just inflamed all the other fan bases and somewhat rightfully so like I don't want to get too deep deep into it like then we are much deeper than we already have but that was just a surprising one to me that he was in the conversation I think we both agree though Nate McKinnon a good pick for the Lady Bing this season in fact McKinnon was kind of joking about after the fact this is kind of one of those awards where it just kind of says that you're not gritty enough like you have to be gentlemanly on the ice like Brian Burke in the past has said that he never wants any players on any of his teams to win the lady bing 
because yeah. it means that you're like there's a perception nice yeah that you're going to be easy to play against you don't get the you're going to start feeding the opponents the old northland sandwich every once in a while a little cross yeah. oh, check sorry. in the back stick in the teeth <laughs> like, there's there's none of that going on and that's uh he had a good laugh about that saying that maybe he, crosby plays a little dirtier than mckinnon plays and he needs to maybe get a little bit grittier in the corners moving forward if he wants to be in the conversation for more of the conversation for the heart and stuff like that rather than conversation for gentlemanly play um, another award the jim gregory gm of the year now this one surprised a lot of people particularly in toronto uh, lou lamorello the winner based off his work that he's done with the new york mm. islanders what do you make of uh bobby lou winning the gm of the year huge man makes that bold move to acquire pajot in the regular season and you know obviously he left a bit of a mess in toronto uh, as you mentioned or as as you mentioned in our in our lineup earlier, with with Zaitsev deal Marlowe, but this yeah, is I think, I think he left a little bit of a mess well for Dubis to sweep up. He did he did yeah he did leave a mess in in Toronto. But what he's done with his fresh team in New York, you know, he brings back some familiar faces with with Martin and Leo, and it's completely well deserved. Yeah, and he's built that team based off the style. I mean, we've talked about it before how he likes to structure his teams as defensive first and then worry about everything else second. Uh, I think in this sense, the, some of the players they've brought in, but also the coaching of Barry Trotz, which, you, you know, the Islanders deserve credit for being able to sign him after he basically got lame ducked in Washington going into the final year of his deal. They didn't want to give him the extension. And then of course they come pleading to have him back after he wins the Stanley Cup and he's sort of like, well, screw you guys. I wasn't good enough coming into the season. Then I'm not going to sign now just because we've had success. I was like, you guys had your chance to sign me and you didn't want to, so you can go bite it. And then obviously their head coach in Reardon didn't work out this year. When I look at the GM of the year, though, I really liked the job that Julian Brisebois did in Tampa Bay. I think that adding the grit of Maroon uh, Coleman, as we had mentioned earlier, as was instrumental in the team's success. You get, you're able to get in a veteran guy and Kevin Chat and Kirk to bolster the bottom six and really take this team from the perennial regular season contender to push past that. And now they're knocking on the door of the Stanley Cup final. Now, I know oftentimes with these awards in particular, you aren't supposed to consider necessarily the playoff runs. It's mostly a regular season award. But how can you not be influenced a little bit? How can the voters not be influenced a little bit based off of what they're watching these teams do. I mean, I actually think, I don't know, did they cast the votes before the playoffs started and now they're just releasing it now? I don't know when they did the vote for the, for the GM of the year anyways. I'm not too sure, man. I, I, I would have probably had Kelly McCrimmon in the mix too. I mean, Vegas Golden Knights management seems to always be up for some award. And once again, you know, McCrimmon has done an excellent job in building a perennial contender in the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that didn't even that a team that didn't even exist three years ago, but back to Lou quickly, one of the few teams or, you know, when Lou, when Lou is, is, is a general manager of a team, say, you know, could be the devils, could be the Leafs, could be the Islanders. He has control fully of that team. And, and typically the, the GM is not as engaged with the players. You know, I'm sure Dubas is tight with a lot of the Leafs, but you look at Lou, like he is in charge. It's like no facial hair, 
you know, he's always been <laughs> no facial hair. Always been into that. Games. It's like he's got, yeah, he's got, he's running the, the team. Is my point? Yeah, he's he's old school. Like he, he's yeah. a big hockey culture guy. Like you show up in a suit to the arena. Like, like you said, no no facial hair. And as far as establishing a culture, I will say in Toronto they did need that. They needed they sort of a hard nosed guys to come in and be like, no more bullshit. Like cut the shit, and we're gonna be professionals here. And this is how we're going to be perceived as an organization. We're an original sixth franchise, and we're gonna reestablish our credibility around the league. In that sense, I think that he did a good job of that. And obviously, Mike Babcock as well was brought in to help steady the ship in that sense. And that was instrumental too in sixteen seventeen for Matthews and Marner, just to have like, you know, not only Babcock. Stability. He, it's stability. Not only Babcock as like the intimidating figure, but also you got, you got Lou upstairs too. There's trouble. Lou's coming down to sort things out. Yeah, you don't want Lou Lamorello poking around in your locker room. No. Like, like not at all. No, no, thank yeah, you. That, that's that's not the ideal situation. Uh, all right. Well, I don't know. You got anything else to add? We sort of well, got into the Raptors. We got into, got into a little bit of everything today. It's not another sports podcast today. Exactly, man. Well, I mean, Calder Cup will be announced, or Calder Cup finalists will be announced soon? Uh, the winner will be announced soon. The, the finalists are uh, Kale McCarr, uh, Colorado, Quinn Hughes of Vancouver, and Dominic Kubalik, the forward for the Chicago Blackhawks. And, I think it's uh, Hughes. No it's gotta be, it's gotta be, a, no, it's gotta be a coin flip between McCarr and Hughes for me. I mean, both of them had outstanding seasons. They did. Obviously, we're biased in the Canadian market, and we're watching more of, well, at least in the playoffs. <laughs> like I was more tuned into the Canadian games than the American games. That seems to be pretty commonplace. But both these young defensemen have such bright futures in front of them, and are going to be bona fide superstars for both their organizations over the next coming five to 10 years. Uh, it's an amazing drafting by the abs and by the Canucks. And as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you're left salivating looking at the talents that some of these guys have on the back end at such a young age. I mean, even when you bring in other guys into the conversation, who aren't even rookies, but look at Mero Hiskinen, also young, young defenseman, uh, what he's been able to do in Dallas. So, it's, uh, we're sort of entering the golden age of young defensemen in this league, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Let me tell you that I covered Quinn Hughes' debut with the Canucks last year and for SportsCenter, and obviously we're, we're big on stories, and he didn't even do anything that game, and my entire, my entire highlight pack was Hughes. Yeah. Like, makes a nice outlet pass. Does it, it's like just the little things, man. He, he is going to be an absolute stud to watch, and Vancouver's lucky to have him. I, I'm still going with Hughes over McCarr. It's going to be tight. but I love watching these young defensemen because one of the most underrated parts of the game is just a nice, crisp breakout pass, tape oh, yeah. to tape. Like You have to be able to do that as second nature, and you notice when they don't do it, but you don't notice when they do do it. And I think that that's sort of like the caveat with young defensemen. And that's what everybody always likes to say is, oh, I didn't really notice him tonight. And it's like, well, that's a good thing if you didn't really notice him. Because if you didn't really notice him, that means he's doing the little things correctly. And he's not getting exposed on the back end. These guys are amazing players for their respective franchises. And I honestly feel bad for Kubalik a little bit because he's just kind of chop liver. Like he's the third he nomination, is, yeah. but nobody's giving him a snowball's chance in hell to win this award. No. He had a really nice season for Chicago. Came up with some big goals in the playoffs. Like He's going to be a solid player for the Blackhawks. Everybody, be sure to follow us at LeafsPod on Twitter. Post a lot of gifts. 
a lot of updates, a lot nice of polls. Throw. I like that. Nice reset. And well, I mean, you're usually doing the uh, the Twitter throws. Yeah, you can also follow us too on Twitter. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. You can throw that in whenever. So follow at least on Twitter. And uh, are you the, at uh, Kenny Rogers now? Or no, that's your no, that's your... <laughs> no, no, no. It's just my display name. It's still at Ken Stavon. But is Rogers your middle name? Sorry, I don't even know. No, the, you don't know who Kenny Rogers is, the no. gambler. No. What? No, I don't. You don't know. know the gambler by Kenny Rogers? He's got that. You know, you got to know when to hold him. Know when to fold him. No. I'm Jesus I'm a deer Christ in headlights, buddy. I'm a deer God. in headlights. Anyways, Kenny Rogers, very infamous country singer, <laughs> and also just what the O Dog has deemed my nickname. He just keeps calling me Kenny Rogers, or like referring to, referring to me in the third person as the gambler. So, and when uh, he seems to come up with nicknames, they seem to stick. I mean, just look at uh, Ian Graffs, and that's his mo- That's his note. That's his calling card now. Ian Tulloch of the Athletic because O Dog popped off on Overdrive calling him Ian Graffs saying that at the analytics can't necessarily explain the game as much as the eye test can. O-Dog. O-Dog is, O-Dog's a riot, man. Hey, it's a lot. It's a, it's a badge of honor for me to get a nickname from the O-Dog. So <laughs> that's huge. I'm a, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy about that. Now I just, uh, just got us fly under the radar. He was roasting me the other day on overdrive on, uh, on labor day. Cause I shot him a text message during the show. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I slid into the O-Dog's DMS and he was like, I got to say something right now. He's like, Kenny Rogers, I know you're listening. Don't you ever text my personal phone. But he was roasting me on air, man. I was at work doing the updates, and he was saying that I got the day off, so I had to defend my honor. I was sliding in for the notorious Al's brother on the update oh. desk who was producing Overdrive that day. So Al's brother. A little, bit of, uh, a little bit of musical chairs at TSN 1050. He's a great guy. I met him at Crock uh, Rock, funnily enough. Michael? Yeah, Mike DiStefano. Mike just yeah, he's a good guy. He's also the host guy. of uh, the Lockdown Lease podcast. Not that we oh. should be advertising other podcasts on this network. It's not as good as not another Lease podcast, obviously. No. Yeah, not as uh, not as impressive of a network as the Hockey Podcast Network at HockeyPodNet. New episodes of Not Another Lease podcast coming every Monday to the network feed uh, at, at Ken Staple and at B McCarthy ninety five. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>